All right, turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're going to start chapter 2 today, Galatians chapter 2. And this, like if you were here last week or you, you listened to it or watched it, this is another example Paul's going to give from his own life to illustrate what he's been talking about. He did that last week. He'll do that this week. Actually, next week, he'll do it again. He'll tell yet another story next week, illustrating this idea of the gospel, the significance of the gospel, that as we've said many times, the gospel is not a partnership. It's not us and God. I heard a great story this week that, that, that sort of grabbed hold of that for me. I was having dinner with a friend, and he told me about, he just got a new job, and he told me about his interview experience. You expect when you interview, you know, to meet with one or two people. Well, when it was a Zoom interview, it's a remote job. When he got on the Zoom call, there were like five or six other people there with him. There was a couple people from the company, and then there was a whole group of them. And the first thing they did was give him a math test. It's, a, it's an engineering firm, so you're on this, this Zoom call, here's the test, take the test, turn it back in, and then the guy's like, okay, great, give us 30, 45 minutes, we'll look over these, score them, you know, and then we'll email you back if we want you to return. And so you go off and you close your computer and you wait, and sure enough, he got an email back later saying, yes, you know, we'd like you to come back. I don't know if it's a different Zoom link or what, but when he comes back on, there's only one other guy. It's just him and one other guy and then the two guys from the company. And they go through and they interview and they do all these different things. And in the end, they offer him a job. Okay? Now, isn't that how we often look at salvation? The company offered him the job. There's nothing he can do to make them do that. He can't make them. He's not in the company. There's no, he can't make them. It's just they just offer him the job. Just like God offers us salvation. But what was behind that job offer? He passed a test. He did an interview. He, I mean, who knows what their criteria are, right? He's the right age. He's the right personality. He, fit, he checked some boxes they were looking for. Who knows? There was a bunch of criteria, and he met them. He quite literally passed the test. They offered him a job, but what was behind that job offer was him. His ability, his brains, his passing the test, his knowledge, his interview skills, whatever they were looking for, he had it. What was behind their, their offer of a job was him. And Paul will spend the book of Galatians telling us over and over and over again, do not ever for a moment believe what was behind your salvation was you, that you passed the test that you were smart enough, that you looked good, that you interviewed well, that you checked some boxes of what God was looking for. You are not saved because you did something, Paul said. What's behind God offering you salvation is God. And so remember how Paul describes it. He's like, if anybody deserved for God to care about them, it was me. I was at the top of the heap on Judaism. I was as good as it's got. I was a wonderkind. How does he save? He tells us back in chapter one. God set me apart from my mother's womb. Before Paul ever did anything, before he ever passed a test, before he ever went to school, before he ever did anything, he said, God had already set me apart. And when it pleased God, he revealed Jesus in me, not to me, in me, because Jesus was already there. There came a day when God revealed these things to Paul and Paul accepted the gift. But the gift was already there. Jesus was already there. Paul says, don't ever for a moment believe 
that what's behind God giving you the gift of salvation is you. What's behind it is Jesus, is him. And Paul's now going to tell us another story to talk about that. So Galatians chapter 2, we're going to read the first 10 verses. Read along with me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I have been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the, uncirc- to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So Paul, remember his last story, at the end of Paul's last story, 14 years ago, He had gone to Jerusalem after a few, he'd become a Christian, he goes away for a couple of years, he comes to Jerusalem, he meets with Peter and James, and after a couple of weeks, they put him on a boat and send him home. They send him back to Tarsus. And boom, at age, probably around age 30, he's come full circle from sort of nowhere in Judaism to to the top, and now he's all the way back again. And he just stays there. He stays in Tarsus for years. Later, Barnabas, we talked about him last week. Barnabas is in Antioch. He's one of the leaders in a church there. That's sort of become the largest church outside of Jerusalem. And he goes and gets Paul and brings him back down. And Paul becomes a leader in the church of Antioch. They eventually take their missionary journey. 14 years later, Paul goes back to Jerusalem because, as we've said, this issue has come up. You've suddenly got people becoming Christians who aren't Jewish. What, what do we do with that? And Paul says he came and he presented his gospel to those who are the leaders in the church. He wanted to make sure he wasn't running in vain. The way he writes that, he's talking about his purpose. He wanted to make sure, remember what he said in in chapter one, that God saved me so I could preach to the Gentiles. He wants to make sure that what he's preaching is going to happen. He's preaching that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter your race, your language, your family, your education, your status. None of that matters. Jesus offers you salvation. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, Paul says, Jesus offers you salvation. There is one church, and that's the church of the redeemed, saved by Jesus. That's what Paul is preaching, and that's what he's been creating in these towns, these Greek towns, he has been bringing Gentiles and Jews together to worship together, even though normally they would have nothing to do with each other. It's like, no, we're all together now. We all say Jesus is Lord. We are brothers and sisters in Christ because of what Christ did, not because of what we did. Paul wants to make sure that the guys in Jerusalem are on board with this, that there's not gonna be two churches, one church of people in Israel 
who are Jewish and who say, you got to be Jewish. If you're not Jewish, don't come here. And then everyone else who's not Jewish. He wants to make sure that there's only going to be one church. And we actually have all this recorded. If you can flip back or I'll read it to you. But if in Acts 15, we have the record of this happening, of Paul being in Antioch, guys come there and say, this is Acts 15, chapter one, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So they eventually decide, well, let, we, need, we need to go talk to the whole church about this. They go down to Jerusalem. Some of the party, who be, some of the believers, so remember, these are Christians. Some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up. Like, they go at this. This isn't obvious to them. They go at this, what do we do with this? And then finally Peter stands up at some point and says, folks, we have seen God give the Holy Spirit to Gentiles. That's the same thing that happened to us. We accepted Christ and got the Spirit. They accepted Christ and got the Spirit. Here's how he ends. God did not discriminate between us, Jews, and them, Gentiles, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now, why are you trying to test God? By putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Go, Peter. No. Grace, it's a gift. We are saved by the gift of God. They are Gentiles. They are saved by the gift of God. We've had Moses' law forever. It hasn't changed anyone. God saved people. Paul comes in. He preaches. He talks to these guys. And they're all agreed, absolutely. That is absolutely what we teach. There is one church. There is one church, Jew, Gentile, Roman, Greek. What does it matter where you're from? Persia, Israel, Spain, wherever you're from, there is one church from Jesus. And Paul says in Galatians 2, that not in Galatians 2 verse 3, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. One of the things I do in preparing sermons, you know, is I read other people's sermons, right? What, like, what do the ancients say about this? Augustine and Aquinas and those guys. And what do modern, what does Lewis, C.S. Lewis say about this? What does Tim Keller say about this? And uh, uh, Tim Keller, and I was reading one of his sermons on this, he said, you know, in 40 years of pastoral ministry, I've never gone into a home and seen cross-stitched up on the wall somewhere. Not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. <laughs> but maybe we should, because it's really important. There's one church. You're saved by grace alone. That's it. Just like what Peter said. We Jews, we're saved by grace. It's the gift of Jesus. Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, they're saved by grace. It's the gift of Jesus. That's it. There's nothing else. That that is what everyone agrees. Maybe we all ought to have Titus 2.3 as one of our life verses. Not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. Paul says he had to do this, though, as we read in Acts 14, Because listen to the way he describes it. Remember how Luke told it in Acts. You know, some believers stood up and said this and they had a debate. Paul says in Galatians 2.4, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Wow, that's a lot stronger than some believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be compelled to be circumcised. 
Like, this is a serious issue for Paul. This is a hot button, we are not gonna let this go issue for Paul. He, he calls them, we translate it false believers. He literally calls them false brothers. He says they acted like they were family. They said they were family, but they weren't accepting people as family. They were pushing people away. They weren't brothers. They, they, they were pushing people out of the family. Do you remember there's a story when Jesus is arrested? It's Friday morning. And the, the authorities in Jerusalem, they want to crucify him. They want to kill him for blasphemy. But they're not allowed to do that. Only the Roman governor can decree an execution. The town council, you can beat somebody, you can imprison them, you can do all sorts of stuff to them, but you can't kill them. So they have to go to the governor and lay out their case and ask for him to be executed. And it says they go to the governor's house, but because it was the preparation day, meaning it was Friday, the day before the Sabbath, they didn't want to enter his house because they would be unclean. And then they couldn't participate in the Sabbath. So the governor, out of kindness, he comes out and meets them outside because they were Jews. And they couldn't even go in the house of a non-Jew. If they had gone into his house, then that night when they had the, the big Sabbath meal all together, they couldn't go. They'd have to sequester. They'd have to be alone somewhere. They were unclean. They'd been in a Gentile's house. That's what Paul says. These guys who came, that's what they're trying to do to us. They're trying to put us back on that footing. That's not family. They're not brothers. When they come in and say, oh no, you need to be Jews because if you're not Jews, then we're not going to have anything to do with you. Can you imagine a church where half of us can't go in the other half's house? Like, we can't even sit together. I've got to have two separate services. Because those of you who are Jews, right, there's no way you're going to sit in the same room with those of you who are Gentiles. That's crazy. You'll be unclean. Paul says, these guys, they wanted to enslave us. Paul calls that slavery. That, that, that thinking. That whatever goes on in you, where your culture takes on this importance. Paul says, they wanted to enslave us. They wanted to put us back into that culture of slavery, ethnic, cultural slavery. And Paul says in verse 5, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Because for Paul, no way. Like, you know, there's issues where we agree to disagree. There's issues in scripture where Paul says, well, here's what I'm telling you. You know what? If you don't agree with me, that's fine. L live up to what you know to be true. There's things where Paul says, you know, one person thinks this and another person thinks this. That's great. Don't get bent out of shape. Don't insist that the other person agree with you. That's okay. These are, you know, secondary disputable matters. The scriptures haven't spoken on them. Fellowship is more important. Wow, this, the gospel, this is not one of those issues. This is not one of those issues where the Apostle Paul says, okay, you know, we're just going to agree to disagree on this. Okay, that's fine. You just, you know, why don't you think about it for a while? Come back. We'll, well, you know, he kind of says, come back. You'll, you'll thank me later. You'll know I'm right. But, but you get the idea. Like, there, there's things where as Christians we're like, yep, yeah, we disagree on that. That's okay. The gospel is not one of those issues. Because if we start disagreeing on how we're saved, and we start disagreeing on, oh, this is what you need to do to be saved. This is who you need to be. This is what you need to be like. Then Paul says that's slavery. Look at what he says in verse 6. 
As for those who are held in high esteem, that's the third time, or he's going to say that three times. He said it back in verse 2. I went to those privately with those who are esteemed as leaders. He'll say it again down in verse 9. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars. Paul says those who are the, the really important people in Christianity, which doesn't matter, Paul says, because God doesn't show favoritism. Peter and James and John, the pillars, of course God saved them. They're so important. No, no, not at all. God saved Peter and James and John for the same reason he saved everybody, because he's kind and he's gracious. And they were saved. Go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were not saved because they were really smart and they figured it out. They were saved in spite of the fact that they never seemed to have figured it out. Paul says, oh, even these, these guys who are so, so important in Christianity, it's not like God looked at them and said, oh, wow, I want them. God shows no favoritism. They're saved the same way we are. We all agree. That's how Paul ends this part of it. We all agreed. We all agreed. This is what God had called them to. This is what God has called me to. This is what they need to do. This is what I need to do. We all agreed that we are saved the same way. We have the same gospel. There's one church. We have different roles. We're called to different things. I'm involved in this, you're involved in that. God wants me there, he wants you there. God puts his people wherever they want, they say. But there's one church and there's one gospel. We all agreed to that because Paul said, we are free. Did you catch that back in verse four? These false believers, they wanted to spy out our freedom. Now, what do you think he means by freedom? Right? I guarantee you he doesn't mean the freedom to levitate because I have tried flapping and flapping and nothing happens. So we're not, free to do, we're not free to do whatever we want. I mean, you do not have to read far in the Bible to know that becoming a Christian does not mean, woohoo, I can do anything I want. I mean, look at what they say at the very end of this passage. They asked me to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do. Being free in Christ doesn't mean, oh, now I don't got to care about the poor. I don't care. I do whatever I want. That's not freedom. What were they free in, in, in Antioch, in Galatia? What was their freedom? They were free to associate with each other. Those things that the Jews wouldn't go into the governor's house, Christians, Jewish, Gentile, didn't matter. They could eat together. They could go and do whatever they wanted together. They were free to associate with anyone they wanted. All those Gentiles, those non-Jews who became Christians, they could go hang out with Jews who were Christians, and they could go hang out with Gentiles who weren't. Paul said, we, Jesus made us free. We, we could accept all these people. We could be involved with all these people. And these guys, these false brothers, they didn't like that. They didn't want us to be free to associate to, to talk to whomever we want and to eat with whomever we want, to be with Jews and with Gentiles, to, to do just what Paul does, to preach the gospel everywhere. It's like, oh, they didn't like that. They wanted to enslave us. We were free, and they wanted to take that away. So let me ask you a question, okay? And it, it's a serious question, right? Are you free? Are you free in Christ the way Paul means it? Like, are you free from all the things that try and get added to the gospel? Because these guys are adding two things to the gospel when they come to Antioch, when they go to Galatia. First, they're adding requirements, like you must do this to be saved. Okay, hopefully we catch that one. If somebody comes in and says to us, 
Yes, to be, oh, saved in Christ, absolutely. But also, you must learn this secret handshake. I don't think we'd fall for that. But the other thing they're adding to the gospel is culture. Being a good Jew. Following the rules that Jews follow. There's nothing in the Bible that says a Jew can't go in a non-Jew's house. That's not a scripture, that's culture. There's nothing in the Bible that says a Jew can't eat with a non-Jew. They do it all the time in the scriptures, in what we call the Old Testament. That's their culture that, that they've put on top of all of this. Are you free in Christ? Are you free from all the ways that our culture tries to tell you what matters? I want you to think of two people right now, okay? One, I want you to think of a neighbor of yours who is not a Christian, okay? Now, imagine, obviously, I don't know all your neighbors, so I'm painting in broad strokes, but I would imagine your neighbor, if you live in a house, you know, person in the house next to you, you live in an apartment, person in the apartment next to you, um, your neighbor's probably a ton like you. Your neighbor probably looks like you, probably dresses like you. If they've got kids and you've got kids, probably they're raising their kids the same way you're raising your kids. Probably care about the things you care about. They probably vote like you vote. The stuff in the world that makes them roll their eyes makes you roll your eyes. You're probably really similar because we're from the same culture. You live in the same neighborhood. You're from the same culture. You probably think alike. You probably look alike. You probably act alike. They're probably easy to hang out with. You talk about the same things, but they're not a Christian. They're a lot like you, but they're not a Christian. Now, I want you to think of another family, say 30 miles south of here, somewhere in South Atlanta, who are absolutely believers. They are in church right now. Okay? They do not look like you. They don't think like you. They don't care about a lot of things you care about. The stuff that makes you roll their eyes might be really important to them. And the stuff that makes them roll their eyes, wow, that might be really important to you. When I moved to Dunwoody, somebody told me that all of Dunwoody civic life could be, could be summarized in four Ps. Police, parks, paving, property values. So that's all that matters. If you're in government, you better be taking care of those four things. Because if you're not, you're out. Right? I want you to imagine a family in South Atlanta right now. Those probably aren't the four most important things to them. That's probably not what they're asking their government to do. They don't look like you. They don't dress like you. They don't vote like you. They don't care about the things you care about. They're absolutely followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you, just I mean honestly, in your mind, who's the Christian? When you think about these two groups of people, who do you think, oh, of course, they're believers? Because it is so, so easy to be like these guys who showed up in Antioch and in Galatia. If you're going to be Christian, you've got to be like us. We're Christians. This is how we do it. This is who we eat with, and this is who we don't eat with. This is where we go, and this is where we don't go. These are the things we do, and these are the things we don't do. If you're a Christian, you'll act like us. You'll be like us. It is so easy to look at our neighbors who are not believers, but, but they're just like us, and not to remember that they're lost. They're completely, totally lost. And that other family in South Atlanta, you're going to spend eternity with them. They will be your neighbors forever. Whoever your neighbors are now, even if you live next door to each other till you die, it's just decades. 
the, the families worshiping in South Atlanta right now, we will worship together forever in God's kingdom. And it doesn't have to be you know, cultural in that sense. It, it, it can be age. I think Winston Churchill made the statement that you know, anyone who's not a liberal in their 20s has no heart. Anyone who's not a conservative in their 50s has no head. Do you look at people older than you, right, and think, oh, how can those people be Christians? They're, they're so staid. They never change. They don't want to do anything. How can the Spirit be in them? Do you look at people younger than you and say, I just despair for the faith? How can these people, how can they, they're just tossed about by their emotions left and right. How can they be Christians? Do you look at people who have more money than you and think, yeah, right. Are they believers? If they were believers, they would look like me. Do good people make less money than you and think, wow, uh, really? Are they Christians? Why aren't they being diligent like I am? It is so easy, brothers and sisters, to put our culture down on our faith. Your neighbor, who's not a Christian, is going to hell. It doesn't matter that he, she, them, that they're just like you. Because that's not why we're saved. God doesn't save us because we're good people who have the right moral outlook and treat each other well and mow our lawns and care about the right things. We're saved because God is gracious and he offers us a gift. And if your neighbors aren't believers, wow, they need that gift. You need to talk to them about it. Remember the wings of the plane, right? Your neighbors are over here. They're this wing. They need to hear about Jesus. You need to offer it to them. Who knows if they'll take it? That, that, that's up to God, right? God, it's God who gives the gift. You don't know. It's God who reveals Jesus in them. That's his business. But your neighbor who's just like you, who's not a Christian, is lost. And those people who are so, so different from you, who are Christians, they're this wing of the plane. <laughs> that's discipleship. Okay, yeah, maybe they do think wrongly about some things. Maybe the scriptures would call them into account on some things. Great, that's training. That's discipleship. That's where we encourage each other and we grow as believers. Do you have the freedom in Christ that Paul thinks is so important that, wow, he went after people who were trying to take it away? He argued with them when he couldn't convince them. He went to Jerusalem to talk to the leaders. When they followed him and came to Galatia, he writes back and argues with them. He thinks this is so, so important that we be free in Christ. You are free to go out and spread the gospel to everyone. The constraints, the things our culture tells us, oh, we, you, know, you don't talk to those kind of people and we don't go to those kind of places. Yeah, you can. You are free in Christ. Paul says the gospel, the gospel is about freedom. Are you free? Do you have that freedom in you? Or, or, and I think we all are to one degree or another. Right? Are we still enslaved? That's what Paul calls it. He calls it slavery. Are we still enslaved to our culture? The, the way we grew up, the things we think are important. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, these guys. If you're a Christian, of course you keep the Mosaic Law. Of, of course, we all, we all do. Look at us. Of course you only eat kosher food. Of course you don't associate with, you don't go into the houses of, of people who aren't believers or who aren't Jews. Are you 
free. Because Paul wants you to be free. Jesus wants you to be free. I want you to be free. I hope you want to be free. I hope you want to be free to talk to the world, to go anywhere, to tell everyone. That's what Paul is doing. He's a Jewish guy traveling around to places in the world that no Jew would ever go. Talking to people that no Jew would ever talk to. Staying in the homes of people that, oh my gosh, no Jew would ever be on their street, much less staying in their guest bedroom. And he's doing it for the gospel because he's free. Because Jesus has freed him from all of that cultural baggage that these guys want to slap back on. Brothers and sisters, are you free the way the gospel has freed you? So I'm going to pray for us. I mean, that's all I do every time. I ask you these questions and I pray that God will speak to you. Are there any ways that we're not free? That we look at other people who are believers and we say, oh, well, they can't be Christians because they don't meet whatever my culture is. Or we look at other people and say, well, I, I can't talk to them. I can't reach them because we, we don't do that. We're not allowed. Is there any place in your life where you're not living in freedom? Where, as Paul says, you are still enslaved. You're still enslaved to your culture somehow. It's got a hold of you and it's telling you what to do instead of Jesus telling you what to do. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask God to speak to you. As always, if the Lord says anything to you, say yes. Everything he says is good. And then we'll take communion, we'll continue to reflect, we'll sing, we'll, we'll give God's spirit time to talk to us and to work in us. So pray with me. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have made us free. Uh, thank you that all those old rules about who could eat with whom, and who could talk to whom, and where you could go, and, and all those things that constrained Paul growing up, that he realized that they didn't matter, that you saved people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that, that as Paul says, you, you, you don't care about who people were. You don't care about where they came from, what ethnic group they're from, how rich or poor they are. You, you don't save people because they're good or because they're bad. You don't save people because they're powerful or because they're not powerful. You save people because you're a kind and a generous God. Thank you. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for me. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Are we free? Are we free the way Paul says it, that this freedom that's so important, that, that, that we are free from all these old cultural boundaries that try and keep us away from other people? that try and hinder us from sharing the gospel, that try and push us away from other believers who, who don't look like we look and don't act like we act. Holy Spirit, speak to us. We want to be people who live in the freedom of Christ. We want to be a church that exhibits the freedom of Christ, that God saves people. It's not where you come from. It's not who you are. It's not anything you have or know or do. Jesus, Holy Spirit, speak to us. As we take communion, as we remind ourselves of what you have done for us, Lord, as we sing again and praise you, Holy Spirit, be at work in us. Is there any way that we are not living out the freedom that you have given us? Is there any way that, as Paul says, we're still enslaved to all these old ways of thinking, all these old ways of doing things? Lord, we put all this before you. We put us before you. We want to be people who live in freedom. But you know, Lord, it is hard for us to know ourselves. 
So Holy Spirit, speak to us. We ask this in your name, Jesus, because you are our God and we are your servants. Amen.